And here comes in what I think we can define the clinical challenge in the use of biomarkers. We use samples and data collected at baseline to infer or estimate the risk of an event that will happen several years after. And by doing this, we make a lot of assumptions. And one important assumption is that we, we believe uh, in a way uh, that all the baseline, we believe in all the baseline information and we believe in the way we collect events throughout the time. And this can be done in different countries and in different systems in different ways. Good afternoon and welcome back to the ECR podcast series. My name is Bruna Gigante and I am Associate Professor of Cardiovascular Epidemiology at Karolinska Institute at Sweden. And I also work as a cardiologist um, in an hospital in the northern part of Stockholm, Danderitz Hospital. Uh, I have been working uh, many years on uh, the potential use of biomarkers as risk um, indicators or risk predictor uh, for future cardiovascular events. And the topic today is to go through the potential application and pitfalls in the use of biomarkers for cardiovascular risk prediction. So uh, the first question I think we need to ask ourselves is why uh, do we need biomarkers in cardiovascular research and in the cardiovascular, uh, in the care of the cardiovascular patients? And the first reason is that we need uh, better tools to identify patients that nowadays escape our primary prevention uh, guidelines in a way, recommendation. And this, the reason is that large part of the patients that suffer today from myocardial infarction are so-called patients at low or intermediate cardiovascular risk that are not very well uh, taken care of because we miss them uh, in uh, primary prevention campaigns. In this group of patients, uh, we can really make a difference uh, by identifying biomarkers that can better classify or reclassify the risk of future cardiovascular events. And this is the first uh, aim with biomarker research, but the second and also more relevant could be that one to identify novel uh, targets for treatment. And this, of course, requires the identification of molecules that are, can be circulating molecules or can be tissue uh, uh, expressed at molecules that can be targeted to either prevent or better treat and cardiovascular event. When we think about the application of biomarkers in the clinical practice, there are two main challenges that we have. And the first one are analytical challenges that usually we, a clinician, tends to overlook in a way. And then there are clinical uh, challenges. When it comes to the analytical challenges, we have to realize that most of the studies that have been done, that have identified novel circulating biomarkers uh, in particular are court studies or other observational studies. And often uh, different kind, for instance, of biological samples have been used uh, to measure uh, the biomarker. And one simple example is 
it's the use in different studies uh, of plasma or serum samples. And this makes a huge difference when one looks at the results, as for instance, one of the biomarkers that has been most studied is a chemokine, interleukin-8. The absolute values of interleukin-8 change very much between plasma and serum. And these not only reflect the fact that they are different in absolute terms, but they also reflect two different mechanisms, because in serum, the higher level of interleukin-8 also depend on the preparation of the serum samples and the release of interleukin-8 from platelets. So in looking at the, the results, the first question is, what, where have we measured and what? The second one is the biobanks that we use. Most of these biobanks are, are very powerful and they are a gold mine, but they were collected many years ago. And biological samples could be plasma samples, serum samples, or urine have been thawed at minus 80 for a different number of years. Often, these samples are also frozen and thawed, and this can change the absolute concentration of a single biomarkers. And even a long storage may affect it because there is a small degree of evaporation that makes the actual concentration of the molecules we measure different across samples in the same studies, and even more when comparing the samples from different studies. Another important analytical issue that we have to take into account is the method that has been used to measure uh, the actual biomarker. And this can be either an antibody-based method, as ELISA, or similarly, uh, more developed analytical methods that use panels of biomarkers that can be measured by ELISA, like the Luminex or the Mesoscape. But there are also novel methods, such as the proximity extension assay, where it's not only the antibody, but it's also a, a polymerase chain reaction that is associated to the actual measurement. And these novel methods give, uh, the, uh, give results not in nanograms per milliliters or micrograms per milliliters that we are used to, but in arbitrary units, because it's a fluorescence reaction that is measured on a different scale. When these different methods cannot be readily compared because arbitrary units cannot be directly translated into measures such as nanograms or uh, micrograms per milliliter uh, or per liter. So using novel methods that can be transferred or compared to older methods also needs the remeasuring of a certain number of individuals in a study and create a correlation or a matrix where we know in which way these two measurements are at least correlated. And finally, there is a lot of discussion about how to report uh, the analysis performed on different biomarkers. Not all the studies report the same kind of measures when it comes to variability. And here it's important to remember that there is an intra-assay variability, which means the variability within the same assay, which is dependent of the person who is measuring the biomarker and an interassay variability, so a variability that is instead related to the population one is studying, and how the variability of a single measurement changes across days 
uh, in the same lab and in the same study. These measures are not equally or consistently reported across studies, and this makes very difficult also to uh, estimate the accuracy of the results in a specific study. It can be that differences, seasonal difference, uh, diurnal uh, differences, the half-life of a biomarker in the circulation affect the actual concentration in one specific day or in another specific day or across batches of the same uh, measurement. So one thing that we have absolutely to do before to use better and in a more efficient way uh, biomarkers is to improve our way, first to describe our findings, but also to think about how the different pitfalls in this long chain from uh, sample withdrawal from a patient or an individual to the use in clinical uh, practice can be in a way um, better uh, described, reported, and also uh, addressed. One, let's say that by overcoming all these different uh, analytical challenges, we get to identify several molecules that can be used to measure or estimate the risk of a future event. Then we have to test and analyze these molecules in larger population. Now, most of the studies have been uh, performed in observational studies and the inclusion time for the study participant varies very much from the 90s to the beginning of the 20s. And here comes in what I think we can define the clinical challenge in the use of biomarkers. We use samples and data collected at baseline to infer or estimate the risk of an event that will happen several years after. And by doing this, we make a lot of assumptions. And one important assumption is that we, we believe uh, in a way uh, that all the baseline, we believe in all the baseline information and we believe in the way we collect events throughout the time. And this can be done in different countries and in different systems in different ways. Some studies or some countries have the possibility to recollect cases through national registries where all the diagnoses are recorded by law. And one can also improve the definition of the different outcomes by looking at what we call the qualitative registries, registries that have been done and to, in a way, observe the quality of care in a certain specific disease area. This is not available in the same way in all countries, not only across Europe, but also overseas. Most of the studies that have been done in the United States often rely on insurance uh, data, uh, large databases, or we have very large populations such as the Framingham Heart Studies that have been, uh, that has a follow-up now of more than 30 years. So there are a lot of differences across studies in the way in which we not only define and include but all the patients and study participants, but also in the way in which we define the outcome of our studies. 
One of the most used outcome is, for instance, coronary artery disease. And in some studies, we have that coronary artery disease include or exclude acute patients, acute cases, such as acute myocardial infarction. In some cases, we have that diagnosis, such as angina, are different classified with uh, stable angina or unstable angina. And this patient may be well included or excluded in the definition. So we have a large differences uh, in the definition of what we are looking at, even if we look at the same biomarkers. So one challenge that one has is to um, try to homogenize the way we define the outcome in the studies or to compare studies that have similar outcome definition and way to collect uh, the outcomes. The second challenge that we have from a clinical perspective is that the diagnosis and initial history of the disease change over time. In the last 10 years, we have seen when it comes, for instance, to myocardial infarction, a shift from what we call the nasty elevation myocardial infarction to a non-ST elevation myocardial infarction that is becoming more and more prevalent uh, in the population, at least in the European countries. And the, re the underlying reason is that there is a shift also in the risk factors that uh, are associated with the risk of myocardial infarction, such as smoking that has become less prevalent in the, especially in the last uh, 20 years. There are novel treatments such as statin treatment that has been much more used uh, also at the population level. And all these small changes makes a very large differences when it comes not only to the interpretation of the association or prediction of a biomarker with the risk of the disease, but also when we try to compare studies as the epidemiology changes over time. So the time at which a specific samples was taken was possibly reflecting the, ex the exposition and to other and different uh, risk factors. One, so to conclude this risk estimation part then, we utilize different, different statistical model. And the first uh, question that we like to ask once we have a good population and a good biomarker is, do I get to know something more using by this biomarker as compared to what I already know by using the information that I have from the history of the person I'm talking to? Well, first, it's very difficult to go from the population level to the individual levels. And this is not exactly what is the aim of observational studies where the results are always to be to have to be confined to the population level. The individual level is something that comes year after observational studies have been translated in clinical trials, and then one gets to the guidelines, and then one gets to more specific indication for different group of patients. But in general, we want to know if specific biomarkers increase our knowledge and our possibility to estimate the risk of a future cardiovascular event as compared to the existing risk score. 
And there are several risk scores that we currently use, like uh, the Framingham Heart Score, uh, the scores from the European Society of Cardiology, uh, and other epidemiological scores that take into account several different factors, such as age, cholesterol levels, systolic blood pressure, risk factors that we know affect the risk of future events, and then calculate how the novel biomarker can improve the performance of this risk score in predicting either the risk at 10 years of a cardiovascular event or the risk of cardiovascular mortality at 10 years, after 10 years. This method uh, to recalculate or re-estimate uh, the risk uh, of future cardiovascular event are usually uh, not very, have not performed very well when it comes to novel biomarkers. Usually the differences that we see are kind of small as compared to the prediction that we already can make with what we know from the history. And that I mean systolic blood pressure or uh, uh, high blood pressure, age, and so forth. And the main reason is that uh, when we look at the potential of a biomarker of reclassifying the risk of a disease, then we consider the disease has a big group. And in this big group of disease, we put together the risk of having a cardiovascular event that can be either in coronary artery disease or can be in most of the risk score, cardiovascular mortality, or can be revascularization. So we do not class use that biomarker for a specific outcome, while we use that biomarker to predict, in general, an increased risk. So the, what is in the future perspective to do to improve this is to be able to define um, the risk according to a better phenotype of the different outcome. So if we get to the point in which we identify a novel molecule that seems to be associated to the risk of future event, then the second step is to define better and more clearly which kind of event we are looking at. Because it is possible that by not considering how heterogeneity is the group of cardiovascular outcome we look at, we lose in gaining information from a mobile uh, biomarker. An example can be uh, ST elevation myocardial infarction versus non-ST elevation myocardial infarction versus form of microvascular angina that are more and more diagnoses new in the clinical practice as they were before. And this makes very important to work towards a novel uh, clinical classification also in epidemiological observational studies. And this level we cannot reach by using diagnoses that have been collected uh, several years ago because all this novel form of the disease were not taken into account or were not translated into specific diagnosis score. 
This we can only know by looking at smaller group within the, in the context of larger studies. So in the, what could be the future perspective and what do we can expect in terms of risk prediction is very much related to how we can improve our research question by defining more and more um, selected uh, cardiovascular outcome that we can define using novel imaging technique that we can define using existing uh, diagnosis that can be further defined and subclassified. And in the context of this smaller group, we can see how a novel biomarker can improve the risk prediction. Because otherwise, the additional value of biomarker will be always, in a way, uh, reduced as compared to the actual and potential uh, association. A, sec a second chapter that is even more relevant when it comes to future implementation is the, the discovery of novel uh, target for treatment. And in this um, role, the biomarkers have a completely different uh, role, so to say. While for risk prediction, we do not need to have a biomarker that is causally associated with the disease. We need a biomarker that is like a warning signal that something is really happening when that biomarker, that can be an inflammatory biomarker, can be a structural biomarker, is increased or decreased in the circulation. When it comes to identify novel target for treatment, then we have instead to identify a biomarker that is causally related to the disease. The most simple example of this is the association between LDL cholesterol levels and the risk of future cardiovascular event. Here, first observational, then interventional, and then a genetic studies have clearly demonstrated that there is a causal relationship between increased level of LDL and risk of future cardiovascular events. And on the contrary, that reducing level of LDL has a beneficial effect. This has not been proven through for other biomarkers, such as the C-reactive protein, where even though uh, elevated levels of CRP have been associated with the risk of future cardiovascular events, there is not a causal relationship, which means that there are no genes associated to both CRP level and the risk of cardiovascular event, making CRP a good risk indicator, but not a good molecular target for novel treatment. So in, in the future, if we want to promote a molecule and that we have identified as a novel and promising biomarker, and we want to move this molecule up to the scale and towards the production of a novel drug, then we have to make sure that by counteracting the effect of that molecule, we really have a beneficial effect in terms of number of events. And to do this, then we need the support of genetic studies that help us to understand the causality of the association between 
that biomarker and the disease we are studying or looking at, even in this field, by uh, disentangling the heterogeneity of cardiovascular events and by using more selected group of patients, the likelihood to find a, a good drug is higher as compared to the common approach of looking to a very large number of patients where, where diagnoses are heterogeneous, not for the single patient, but when taking together, taken together as a group of diagnosis. This is now actual in uh, secondary prevention studies where we know that after, for instance, a myocardial infection, there are some patients who have signs of uh, involvement of atherosclerosis in different vascular beds. And this patient benefits from the treatment with both antithrombotic, antiplatelet, and anticoagulant uh, uh, drugs. While we know that there are other patients that instead have a higher risk of uh, coronary events, recurrences that benefit from the treatment with a, a double uh, uh, antiplatelet uh, agents for a longer time. And possibly in the future, we will also identify those patients who will benefit instead from anti-inflammatory treatment, possibly those who have a higher risk uh, of inflammation or for different reasons, one of those being having an autoimmune disease or an auto-inflammatory disease. So also in, in this, we have to either have a clinical um, interpretation or view of what is that patient going to suffer from or we can also improve this by using biomarkers that they can identify a patient and the risk of which kind of recurrences they are more likely to get in the future. So in, in summary, we can say that biomarkers have a huge potential to improve our clinical practice and also to improve uh, our risk prediction of cardiovascular events, and by doing that, prevent events in individuals that are otherwise escaping our radars at present. There are, however, for this field to progress, analytical issues that one has to take care of that we have discussed, but also clinical challenges in identifying and defining in a better and more specific way the group of patients we are looking at and defining the disease we are looking at in a more specific way, taking into account the heterogeneity of atherosclerosis and atherosclerosis-related cardiovascular disease, in, for instance, or heart failure and different subgroup of heart failure that we can clinically classify, and ischemic stroke versus hemorrhagic stroke and so on. And within the frame of this more specific clinical classification, trying to have a deep phenotyping to identify characteristic that only define a smaller group of patients and seeing which way the biomarkers that we have identified can improve 
than risk prediction uh, of the different cardiovascular disease. Finally, when it comes to the identification of novel drugs, it is of relevance before embarking in extremely expensive clinical trial to identify molecules who have a, a causal relationship to the disease we are studying, regardless of which one it is. It can be cardiovascular and not cardiovascular, of course. And try to target those molecules that can then really make a difference in uh, the natural history of the disease. And I thank you, all of you, for listening. 